Orison's glad to have you as members of our church. We are grateful how God's adding you to the body. And I know that you have many gifts, including your dry humor. Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. Paul has been giving instructions to this church that was abounding in every manner of spiritual gifts. And he puts those gifts in perspective because they've been looking at the gifts as if they were a means of drawing attention to themselves, as if the gifts were a means of increasing their status or their importance, their significance. And so he's bringing instruction to them. But in the middle of that instruction, he doesn't tell them to quit it. But he did take a break a couple weeks ago, we saw, in the middle of encouraging the desired spiritual gifts by, by giving them some context. Do this in the context of love. And that, that's the context that we have, this, this great chapter in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, this this really praise of love, well, it's actually a correction because they weren't being loving in the gifts. But yet, what Paul does again is he doesn't just move on from there and say, now, you weren't being loving, so I want you to just cool it a little bit. He doesn't do that. Let's, let's see what Paul commands them about the spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 14, 1 to 19. This is God's holy, inspired word. Pursue Love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more, to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you'll be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and a speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing with my spirit, praise my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks to your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Let's pray. Father, we need your help. Lord, this passage is difficult. It is challenging because it challenges, Lord, our sense of sensibility 
It challenges our notions of, of propriety. It challenges our notions of, of the expected. And Lord, it challenges our, our, our notions of you and that you are an active and living God and you, you desire to be active amongst your people. I pray that we would conform our thinking to your word. We would conform our hearts and our beliefs to your word. I pray that we might respond to this command to pursue love and eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. I pray that we might be a church that is marked by that. That we might love you more and build up the church as a result. God, I pray this morning for your Holy Spirit to continue to lead us as you already have. And would you enable me to preach and enable everyone here to hear from you and to set aside all preconceived notions, Lord. We pray this by your Holy Spirit. In your name, Jesus. Amen. How would you react if all of a sudden there were no spiritual gifts in the church, how would you react? What would you do? Think about that for a second. How would, it, how would that affect the church if all of the, the spiritual gifts ceased to be in operation? How would that affect the church? You think the church would be weakened at all if, if the gift of administration was lacking? How about preaching or teaching or helps or encouragement? or hospitality, or giving? How, how would you react if just one of the gifts of the Spirit was lacking in the church? Would you be okay with that? Would you think, yeah, I'm all right with that? You know, sometimes when we approach the gifts that are being spoken of here, we sometimes approach them that way, thinking, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure I really am comfortable with that. I'm not sure I really get that. So I'm really okay if we don't do that. Anybody here ever felt like that before, if you're gonna be honest? You can raise your hand. Which gifts do you think are optional that God was like, these are good gifts, but you don't really need them all, right? If you think about it that way, it puts it into perspective a little bit better when he's talking about even the spiritual gifts that we're a little uncomfortable with. We have to ask why. Why are we okay with that? Why, why are we devalue or overvalue some gifts? You see, the Corinthians, they were doing that. They were, they were overvaluing the gifts of tongues. But Paul doesn't tell them to stop it. He tells them to, hey, pursue these things, but pursue them in love for building up. But in the context of public worship, what they were undervaluing was prophecy. And sometimes today, I think we might undervalue either one or both. But in the face of that, in the face of the church, viewing the gifts wrongly or viewing some gifts as less important or more important or optional, Paul doesn't give any credence to that and he actually encourages pursuing the spiritual gifts in the context of love, motivated by love. You ever start thinking of a gift as optional because it's been misused or abused? You know, I know that I grew up... Um, seeing the spiritual gifts practiced and then seeing them be abused and then, then my, my pendulum swung to the other side and I thought, well, I don't want anything to do with that. And then I realized, you know what, actually, the, I'm actually denying what God commanded. That's probably not a good thing. And so then now I'm trying to figure out, okay, what does this look like for to pursue the spiritual gifts in the Christian life in a way that seeks to love God? But sometimes we can ignore the gifts because they're awkward, they're hard to explain or they're uncomfortable. But let me ask you a question. Is, is your salvation easy to explain? Really? <laughs> Being miraculously born 
again by the Holy Spirit, that no one knows where that comes from or how that happens, but we're miraculously made alive, born again by the Holy Spirit through trusting in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Is that really easy to explain? Is that, is that really lack awkwardness? I don't think so. So that's not the criteria by which we should evaluate how we live the Christian life and what we pursue you see, our criteria, as we heard last week, is actually the word of God. We're, we're to be driven by the word of God. We're to be, our, our final authority is God's word. That's why we preach on passages like this and don't just ignore them. That's why we seek to obey them even when it's hard because God's word is our final authority. Sometimes we can view gifts as less important because we don't like them, we don't understand them, they don't make sense, but let's caution each other that Let's not view any of the Christian life that way. You know, I don't understand why God chose me. I don't understand why he loves me. I don't understand. It makes no sense that I was dead in my transgressions and sins. I was his enemy. I was hating him. And yet in his mercy, he chose to make me alive, enable me to repent and believe in him. And he forgave me. It makes no sense from a worldly perspective. I don't understand the supernatural work of the Spirit to draw me to open up deaf ears of people's, so people can hear him, to open up blind eyes so people can see. I don't understand the ability to repent and believe for those who are hardened against him. I don't understand how God changes me or changes other people at all. If I get right down to it, yes, I understand some aspects of it, but it's a miracle. It's a miracle that we grow to be more like Jesus that he reverses the effects of the curse in a dramatic way? That people who used to hate God love him? I don't fully understand that, but it's true. And so the text this morning is challenging, it confronts us, and it's meant to confront us. Paul, he's confronting the church in Corinth by either denying the spiritual gifts or extra elevating the spiritual gifts. And so we have to ask ourselves honestly, are we putting this into practice? Are we actually obeying the command here where it says pursue love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you might prophesy? Or do you think, well, you know, I've heard some good reasons for why, you know, prophecy isn't for today. I've heard some, some good explanations why that really is just preaching. Well, Paul uses different words on purpose, by the way. Instead of taking God's word at its face value, we can look for ways to explain it away, but we have to ask ourselves, what's the basis for us not obeying this command? Where is that coming from? Do we start with God's word and what's clear, or do we start with what we're uncomfortable with or try to explain those things away? Where do we begin? We want to, as a church, seek to be honest and humble when it comes to this passage. We don't understand fully all the gifts of the Spirit in every way but I don't pretend to understand the Holy Spirit in every way. And yet, I believe that God has these gifts for the good of the body because that's what he tells us they're for. That the body is actually built up as we pursue the spiritual gifts out of love, pursue love, and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially prophecy, and, and, and result is that the body will be built, built up. And, and what Paul seems to be getting across here is this, this big idea is that earnestly desiring the spiritual gifts, if you go back one in your slides, by the way, earnestly desiring the spiritual gifts, it's a significant means. And he's going to spend the, the rest of the chapter talking about it as well. Earnestly desiring the gifts, spiritual gifts is a significant means of pursuing love. And building up the body of Christ gathered. Now let me ask you do, you, do you want to love the body? 
Well, this, Paul says, is a significant means of pursuing love is eagerly desiring spiritual gifts. Do you want the body to be built up? Well, Paul says the spiritual gifts are significant means of building up the body. So we're gonna take this passage to heart, and the first truth that we're gonna see from this passage is that pursuing love, it goes hand in hand with eagerly desiring the spiritual gifts. He marries them together. He doesn't just separate them. Like I said earlier, they were being unloving in the way they were viewing each other through the spiritual gifts. They were seeing that some gifts were more important, some gifts were less important, and they were undervaluing some and overvaluing others. And in the middle of that, Paul says, pursue love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. In point one, he says, pursuing love goes hand in hand with eagerly desiring the spiritual gifts. We saw earlier in chapter 12 that God has given each member gifts as he best saw fit. What does it mean? He sovereignly divides or orchestrates or gives. He he sovereignly designates different gifts to different members of the body and it's all for our common good, for the building up of the body. And every member of the body, as we've seen in, in 1 Corinthians, every member, that means each and every believer who is here has been given some spiritual gift for the building up of the body. No member is more important than another. No body part is less important than another. Everyone is needed, every gift is needed. And he's telling them to be content. Trust in God's gracious gifts, be grateful. Don't grumble about the gifts they have. Don't be proud about the gifts that they have. But if Paul stopped there, people might be resigned to the gifts that they had, right? You might be thinking, well, thank you, God is apportioned to all uh, different kinds of gifts, and so we're going to stop with that. But but Paul says, no, don't stop. What, What we want is continual manifestations of the Holy Spirit. You see, gifts are not things. They are a manifestation of the Holy Spirit of God himself, and and we should want more of the Spirit. Amen? Not less. And yes, it might make us uncomfortable or be awkward. We might get it wrong sometimes. But God doesn't. We can trust in him. The gifts can be misused. They can be used to puff each other up. They can uh, can be focused on as the object or the goal. So Paul gives some clarification. He says these gifts are given so that we can love God and love each other even more. The gifts are given for us to be able to pursue love by eagerly desiring the spiritual gifts. You see, the motive for the gifts is love. The, The practice of the gifts is tended to be loving. And love, it's, it's better than the gifts, but it informs how we use the gifts, why we pursue the spiritual gifts. The gifts are a means by which we give the gifts of the Holy Spirit to others so that others might experience the manifestation of the Holy Spirit as well. Following the way of love, Paul talks about it should, should mean speaking intelligibly. He talks about this in this passage. It should be mean, being in an orderly way. We're gonna cover that next week when we talk about what does it look like to, to try to pursue doing this in the context of the church. But the command is twofold. It says pursue love and, they go hand in hand together, pursue love and eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. I love the quote by David Garland. He, he puts it in perspective for us when he says, with love as their aim, it will prevent them from being zealous only for those gifts that will enable them to steal the show and outshine others. You see, love motivates us so that we don't want the gifts to draw attention to us. We want the gifts so that we can say, Lord, would you give me more of yourself so I can give you to them? That's, that's what desiring spiritual gifts is. Holy Spirit, I want more of you so I can give you to others who need you. That's, that's what 
desiring the spiritual gifts means. The command is not to leave love behind. Don't make love secondary. He didn't say just desire prophecy. He says eager to desire all the spiritual gifts, especially that you might prophesy. The question for us is why would you not want the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Is there a reason why you wouldn't want to eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit? The, the, the answer for some is that it makes us feel uncomfortable. The answer for others is that, you know what, I, it's hard because it requires that I not rely on something outside of myself, that I'm not self-sufficient, but I rely on the Holy Spirit. You see, the gifts of the Spirit are means by which we are dependent upon God and dependent upon his good gifts of grace and not just self-sufficient because we can be deluded into thinking we're self-sufficient. And Paul, though, he encourages us to eagerly desire gifts, and especially prophecy, because prophecy is for the good of God's people. It's not individualistic in its focus. It's, it's, it's meant to communicate something about God to people for their benefit. It's, it's meant to build up, to exhort, to encourage, to edify, to console, to instruct. Just some of the different words we see in chapter 12 to 14 is to bring conviction to unbelievers. We see at the end of chapter 14, so they might repent and believe. This is a good gift. And it doesn't end there's no cessation of the gift of tongues or prophecy in the new testament you cannot find a scriptural warrant for it i'd love to talk to you afterwards it's okay if you hold to that belief but we want the god the god's word to be our final authority on this and and the reality is that although one speaking is speaking with something that's been revealed to them by the Holy Spirit, they're not, they're not infallible. And we'll see that next week when we talk a little bit more about what it looks like. It has to be weighed. In, in 14.29, Paul talks about the prophecies be sifted or weighed, and there's the inference there that not everything is worth keeping. Not everything you hear in New Testament prophecy, which is separate from Old Testament prophecy, separate from what the apostles wrote. The, the equivalent of Old Testament prophecy would be, would be New Testament apostolic writing. And now it seems that, that this is to be weighed, to be sifted, to be figured out. Is this, is this what is good here? What's to be kept? What's not to be kept? Like the way that, that Wayne Grudem, he, he describes the gift of prophecy. He says, prophecy in the ordinary New Testament churches, it was not equal to scripture and authority, but was simply a very human and sometimes partially mistaken report of something the Holy Spirit brought to someone's mind. It's telling something God has spontaneously brought to mind and I was trying to figure out a definition as we're working through this. It's, it's maybe it's a spontaneous word or impression that the Holy Spirit brings to the mind of an individual. It's given in merely human words for the upbuilding of the church. It's a good thing, but it's not perfect. It's given in human words and it's given for the upbuilding of the church. Another friend I know has put it by saying it's an impression from the Spirit communicated to an individual for others for their good. And then he goes on to talk about why prophecy is better he says because tongues it speaks not to men but to God for nobody understands him and why prophecy is better is because it's understood by people he's not being complex in his logic here he's saying especially pursue prophecy because that is a clear means by which other people might be built up because they can understand you tongues they can't understand he's not outlawing tongues he's saying prophecy is way better you thought the tongues was really great He's telling the church in Corinth because they had thought that this, this supernatural utterance in another language that must be the language of angels and it must be superior and so somehow they are imparted in a way with understanding things that are 
much more lofty than their fellow church members. And Paul says, well, it can be good and edifying to you, but unless there's an interpretation, it doesn't build the church up. But what builds the church up is clear. And so then he tells us that pursuing love, it means being intelligible. That's the second thing we're drawing, he's drawing our attention to. It means being intelligible in our practice of the spiritual gifts. The goal is not to draw attention to the gift. The goal is actually to build up the body. So if that's the case, then if you're giving a public tongue, he tells us later, it must be interpreted because it doesn't build anybody up otherwise and it's really confusing. And then we're gonna see in the latter half of the chapter, people are gonna think you're nuts. But he says, I want you to especially prophesy. And he contrasts it with tongues. Now, it seems to be different here. He's talking about a gift that, that is distinguished from the gift of tongues that we see in Acts 2 because in Acts 2, that, that gift of tongues was not interpreted. It was immediately understood. When at, in the day of Pentecost, the, the Holy Spirit descended on each member of the church with tongues of fire and they began to speak in other tongues and everybody heard them in their own language immediately. There was no need for interpretation. And yet Paul here, he talks about in, in 1 Corinthians 14, this gift of tongues in the context of the church, which is more regular than that, it is, it is needing interpretation. So it seems to be a public tongue that's not immediately understood that needs interpretation. And there also seems to be from, we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit later, a private tongue as well, because Paul says, I speak in tongues more than you all, and, and it's good for building myself up, but hey, I wouldn't let everyone to do that in church because it doesn't help anybody. Now look at verse six. It says, now brothers, if I come speaking in tongues... How will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or training? What he's saying is that it, tongues is inspired speech, if you, but if you don't understand inspired speech, it doesn't matter. He, he's not being harsh, though. He, he's speaking to his family members, his brothers. They've gotten some things wrong. He wants them to understand that what's important is intelligibility when it comes to the edification of the body. If you don't understand it, then it doesn't help you. If I was going to give instructions to my kids and then I, I told them, hey, I'd like you to clean your room, I want you to do the dishes, and then you can go outside and play. But I did that speaking in tongues, they would look at me like I was nuts, for one, and then two, they wouldn't be accountable for that anyway, and that wouldn't help guide them or lead them. Or if I told them, hey, you're doing a really great job, but then I did it in French. They don't understand French. I might be really impressed because I, I somehow rec you know, recalled my... My French speaking from 25, 30 years ago. And I'd speak to them that way, but they wouldn't get it if I was praising them and commending them. They wouldn't be built up. They wouldn't be encouraged. Paul says, how would it benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Something that's understandable. And then he gives some illustrations. He gives three back-to-back -back illustrations. He gives one with an instrument. Actually, if you, wanna, if you could turn, I don't know who's the sound, if you could turn the piano. Is it on right now? Can you hear the piano? Okay, I don't know if you can... Can you, all right, is it on? Can I, can I bang this? Can you sing together with me? You want to, can, you, can, you, can you join me in song? We're going to sing How Great Thou Art, okay? Come on, how great thou art, how great thou art. It, it's, it's silly. You couldn't, you can't follow along. It's, it's discordant. It's what it sounds like when I have toddlers and they went to bang on the piano in the living room. It's, you want to go in the other room. And, and Paul says that in verse 7. He says, if, if lifeless instruments like the flute or the harp, they, they don't give distinct notes, how will anyone know what's being played? If that's what the band did this morning and everybody played their own thing, intentionally, deliberately, just kind of making their own notes, making up on the fly, that might be like jazz. No, I'm just teasing. Uh, I like jazz. They play together. My wife hates jazz. 
But if they all played their own patterns, there are no musical there's no musical pattern to what they play together, then it'd be confusing. It wouldn't be edifying. Nobody would know what's being played. Nobody could follow it. Nobody would understand. Nobody could join in. That's what he says. It would be like that if you all come and you start speaking in tongues. Don't do that because how, how would anybody know what's happening? They couldn't join in. And then he gives another analogy. He talks about a bugle. Now, I don't know a lot about bugles, but I did a little research on bugles. Um, in ancient times, that's the way that armies used to communicate across distances. When, when one human voice could not be heard in the context of the shouting of the masses and hand-to-hand combat, and they needed instructions about where to go and what to do in battle, the trumpet, the bugle, would play. And so they developed a system where certain sounds they played in succession would convey simple battle commands. It was clear. I was reading a site on the bugle, and there are sites on the bugle, by the way. People who have lots of time on their hands. Possessing... <laughs> They put it this way, possessing the ability to rise above the deafening sounds of battle or to rouse exhausted soldiers from their sleep, the bugle call was an essential aspect of war. The bugle call determined when a soldier woke up, went to bed, retreated, or charged on the enemy until its displacement by electronics. The bugle was essential to military communication. The primary bugler was assigned to the headquarters staff and kept close to the senior commander of the field. Soldiers were quick to learn the calls of the bugle. Now you know more than you wanted to know about the bugle. But if a bugle didn't give a distinct sound, the army would not be able to respond and be ready for battle. And he's saying it's that way with the spiritual gifts. The gift of tongues, it's good. But publicly, unless somebody understands it, unless there's an interpretation, as he talks about later, and unless there's something clear there, then it would be very confusing and no one would have any idea what you were speaking. And then he gives another third example. So he first gives the example of the different instruments, then he gives an example of a bugle call rallying people to a battle cry, which, which God's word rallies us. God's word also helps encourage and edify us. And, and then also he says you know, that it, it's the way that we understand each other or communicate is through intelligible language. And he says, you know, there's lots of different languages in the world. There's all kinds of different languages. And none of them was without meaning. But if you don't know the meaning, it's pointless. If I'm a speaker and I don't understand the meaning of the person speaking to me, then we're going to be foreign to each other. Imagine speaking to somebody in a different language when you were able to speak their language. Let's say that someone comes up to you and they're speaking, I don't know, German or French or Spanish or some more commonly spoken language. Maybe you speak one of those languages and you speak that language. But they're speaking to you in Spanish and they're asking directions and they're explaining that they don't know any English. They're very new to the country here. They're lost. Um, and they're trying to find a hospital because they have chest pain. So could you help them? You understand them perfectly, but you say, no, we only speak English here. Well, that would be eminently unloving, right? I think we can all agree that would be unloving. It would be unkind. And so Paul says, don't, don't do that in the church either. Don't do that in the church either. Don't be unkind and loving. Be motivated by love, and that's why especially prophecy over tongues. It's not that tongues is the least important spiritual gift, but it's less important than prophecy when it comes to being intelligible and building up. At the same time, he's not saying prophecy is far superior because it, in comparison to every other spiritual gift, but no, prophecy is better because it's for the encouragement, the edification, the consolation. And we primarily are encouraged and consoled and built up through hearing God's word. And prophecy is a, is a timely application of God's word. It's a, it's a timely 
emphasis of God's word for us by his Holy Spirit. And then lastly, he says pursuing loves means striving to excel in building the church up with the spiritual gifts. If we're going to pursue love, it means striving. What does, he, what does he say? He says strive, strive, strive to excel, not just to be okay. He doesn't say, I want you to work hard or just being normal in the church. That might that'd be a big challenge for some of us. But he says, I, I want you to strive to excel in building up the church with the spiritual gifts. Now look back at verse 4. Go back to the verse 4 in your Bibles. He says, the one who speaks in tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. So we should desire to prophesy, even though it might be a little uncomfortable, because this is a means by which the church is built up. It's how Paul desires to stir this up in everyone so that the church is built up. Verse 5, he says, I, I even more, I want you to prophesy. Yes. He says, I want you all to speak in tongues. You might think, by this point, that Paul, he has been talking about how tongues publicly is not of much use. And you might think that he's completely discouraging it, but even with that, he says, no, I want you all to speak in tongues. I want every member of the church to speak in tongues. That doesn't mean every member of the church is able to, because earlier he says, do all speak in tongues? Of course the answer is no. Do all, are all teachers, or do all prophesy? Do all have gifts of help? Do all have gifts of ministration? No. But he says, I want you all to experience these gifts, but even more to prophesy. Because he says, one that prophesies, unless somebody interprets tongues and then they're kind of similar, it, it builds the church up. In, in Numbers 11, back in the Old Testament, in Numbers eleven twenty six, there were there's some elders in the camp in Israel. And Moses, he goes to the tent of meeting, and these two men, Eldad and, and um, Medad, they prophesied back in the camp. And some of the people were concerned that people were prophesying without Moses there. And so they went to Moses, and they told him that. And so in Numbers eleven twenty seven, it says, a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, he was concerned too. The son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, my Lord Moses, stop them. And Moses said to them, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets. That the Lord would put his spirit on them. That's what we see in the New Testament gift of prophecy is. We see that, that every believer has the gift of the spirit. Now manifested in different ways, different gifts. But this is a fulfillment really of the last days. When, when Peter got up in, in Pentecost after they spoke in tongues, he, he says, this is a fulfillment of what happens in the last days when Joel says, in the last days I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, not just on Moses and on important leaders and on um, some significant prophets in the Old Testament, but on all flesh so that even men, women, slaves and free, they will prophesy, they'll have dreams, they'll have visions. And then now the Spirit has come on all believers in Jesus Christ. And so Paul can, like Moses, say, I wish that you all spoke in tongues. doesn't mean that everybody will. This is not the primary mark of being born again and filled with the Spirit. It's not the only mark, contrary to what some people might teach. Neither is prophecy, but they're all to be desired. And he says, though, that while we're desiring those things, let's even more desire prophecy because it's, it's more loving than tongues. Nobody understands somebody who speaks in tongues unless there's interpretation, but prophecy can be understood. It's, its meaning can be grasped, comprehended. Even the application might not be certain. requires some deep thought. And then he gets really practical. He says, you know, on its own, tongues is not understood. 
So it's possible. There's no possibility others hearing will be built up unless somebody interprets it. So prophecy is to be understood so the church can be built up. And that's what he says. He says, look in verse 12. He says, so with yourselves, since you're eager for manifestations of the Spirit, and I would ask the church, are, are, are we eager for manifestations of the Spirit? If you're eager for the Holy Spirit, for his operation to continue in your life and in your ministry. Because by the way, the only way for us to be effective in what we're called to do is by the means of the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And if you're, if you're eager for the empowering work of the Holy Spirit to be active in your life, then he says, strive to excel in building up the church. And that's the context. He talks about tongues. They, if we have tongues, we should pray for power to interpret. And then he says, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. So tongues are not understood by the speaker. He says, my mind is unfruitful. So some means of our spirit being in communion with God, but, but our mind doesn't understand it. Like the way that Ralph Martin put it in his book, The Spirit in the Congregation, he describes the experience. He says, uh, he suggests that, that praying in tongues where my spirit prays suggests an enraptured fellowship with God. When the human spirit is in such deep, hidden communion with the spirit's divine work, that words at best spoken utterances of our secret selves are formed by spiritual upsurge requiring no mental effort. But the use of the mind is important in the worship of God. It's essential in loving God and communicating with him. And so that's why he says, I, I, I might do those things, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray so that it's understood. I'm gonna sing praises so that they're understandable. That's what I'm going to do. That's how I'm going to respond. I, I might be praying this way. I might be praying this, but publicly, I'm going, to, I'm going to pray in a way that's understandable. I'm going to sing in a way that's understandable. If only the mind's active, everything remains at a theoretical level. If only the heart's active, the door lies open to self-deception and credulity. If both are open to the Holy Spirit, the result can build up the community and bear fruit of love for one another. So Paul says he'll do both. And he encourages us to as well. In the corporate brethren, he says he, he would rather pursue love by praying and singing with his mind rational thoughts than give expression in rational communication so other people can understand. The question, though, is are we seeking, are we eagerly desiring spiritual gifts, especially prophecy? Are we downplaying some? Are we saying, you know what, that one's not as important that one I'm uncomfortable with. That one I don't know what to do with. Are we saying, Lord, I don't know what to do with these things. Lord, help me. Help me understand. Holy Spirit, the, the only way we can understand his word anyway is by the Spirit. The only way we can apply his word is by his Spirit. And so pray that you might understand. Pray that you might get the spiritual gifts, that you might build each other up in love, that you might love one another by exercising spiritual gifts. In the church back in that day, and I hope in our day it continues, this practice was when somebody would pray out loud or when somebody would say something that was encouraging or edifying or upbuilding, the church would respond by saying amen. That's why it's really good, by the way, if somebody's preaching, this is a hint, if somebody's preaching and they say something that's in line with God's word and it affects you, you should say amen. amen. And that's because what we're saying is that I agree with that and I affirm that and I'm, I'm testifying that that's true. And that's the same when we pray. That's why when we pray in Jesus' name, amen, and then the congregation says amen. Because they're adding their 
agreement to those understandable words and saying, yes, we are in agreement. Yes, we affirm that. Yes, this is good. Yes, we want to do that. Yes, we want to follow God's word. And what he's saying is that if, if you're giving a word in a tongue and it's public and there's no interpretation, then nobody can say amen. The congregation doesn't benefit. They can't, they can't be together. He says, you might be giving thanks well enough, but the other person's not being built up. The outsider, somebody comes in from outside, you know, if you're used to the church here, you might have heard a, a, a gift of, of prophecy or a prophetic utterance or somebody sharing a, a, an impression from God, like, it seems the Lord might be speaking this way or I think that God would have us understand this, you know, by the way, hopefully never, you will never hear in the church, thus saith the Lord, because we don't speak that way. New Testament prophecy is not with that kind of authority. But hopefully you've heard a word from the Lord in some way, in some form. Now, if we haven't had, that I'm aware of, a public tongue, it's not that we're opposed to it, we've just not had that because there's not been interpretation. But if there ever was a public tongue and there was no interpretation, it would be confusing to you, but if somebody was coming from outside the church, they might think you're nuts. And Paul talks about that in the latter half of the chapter. And they would also say, I don't understand a word that was said. And Paul says that, that would not be building up to them. That would actually have the reverse effect. And then he says, in verse 18, he still doesn't discourage it. He says, I thank God. So in the midst of the proper use of tongues and the improper encouragement of the New Testament gift of prophecy, he says, I, I still, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. And I don't think he's talking about a public gift here. He's not talking about public tongues interpreted because he says, because nevertheless, as a contrast here, nevertheless in church, I'd rather just speak five words that are plain. Tongues have a value. He's grateful for the gift and it seems to be for the edification and building up of himself and the person who's, who's praying in tongues, singing praises to God. But they don't have value in the church and the gathered assembly unless they're interpreted. So that's why he says, nevertheless, I'd rather speak five words in my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. And by the way, 10,000, that figure is, is the highest number in Greek. So Paul's not just saying 10,000 stop there. He's like, the, whatever the biggest number is in Greek, I'd rather speak five intelligible words. And, and in the context, he, he probably means five words of encouragement, edification in the context of prophecy than, than 10,000 words, than innumerable words in tongues. And why is he doing this? Why is Paul commanding them to pursue love, to eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially prophecy? It's because he, he wants them to be built up. Whenever we divorce the spiritual gifts from the Holy Spirit, something goes wrong. When we look at the spiritual gifts as things to be used, that's, that's, not, the way, that's not the way that the Bible talks about them. They're manifestations of a person. They're manifestations of the activity of the Holy Spirit in individual believers' life. And that varied activity, it can vary, and that's the gifts that vary. And we should give thanks to the Holy Spirit that he's not, doesn't just give us all the same gifts. Whenever I, I eat at um, Kairos, right down the road here, there's a, a small plug for Kairos. I don't know the owners or anything. I don't have any stock in it. But I love food that's got a lot of flavor and they have all kinds of different flavors and you can get you know, their spicy harissa and their, their hummus and all kinds of stuff and, and it's great different diversity of flavors. I'm glad God didn't just give us manna only to eat. He desires for us to be built up in a bunch of different ways, physically with a bunch of different kinds of food in the same way spiritually. I'm glad God didn't just give the gift of administration 
We would drive each other nuts. If everyone was detail-oriented and focused on admin, I don't know if we could survive. But imagine if we didn't have the gift of administration and everybody was just given the gift of hospitality without any coordination. It would be a wreck. I'm glad that God has given a diversity of the gifts for our good. He's, he's strategically placed a myriad of gifts in the body for our good. And if you don't know what your spiritual gift is, that's okay. Just start doing, start serving, start pursuing love, and then pray and ask God, look, would you give me the spiritual gifts? I'm not sure what mine is, but Lord, I'm just going to start. Maybe I've got the gift of help, so I'm going to start helping and see if that flies. I'm going I'm, I'm to take a step of faith. I'm going to take a step of faith, and I'm going I'm to start having hospitality. Well, first of all, we're commanded to anyway, so why not? I'm going I'm to practice the gift of hospitality, see if we're gifted there. Maybe I can grow a little bit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to teach somebody else and see what happens there. I'm going to try to instruct, walk somebody through God's word. I'm going to see if that might be an area of gifting or whatever it might be. You're not limited, but we're to eagerly desire the gifts. Why? Because we want to love people and we want to build the body up. Think for a moment about how God pursues us. He says, pursue love. You know why we can pursue love? It's because God's pursued us in love. We can respond pursuing loving him and loving others because God has first loved us. And he's loved us with a perfect love. He's loved us with a selfless love. He's loved us with his, he, he died for us. He sacrificed for us. He gave everything up. He was uncomfortable. He was, went through unpleasant things. He endured hardships. Why? Because he loved us. So Paul commands us, pursue love like that. And as you do that, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, you might be uncomfortable. It might be difficult. It might be challenging. You might get it wrong sometimes. But pursue love and eagerly desire these spiritual gifts because God loves us and he wants us to experience his love through these different manifestations of the Spirit. And you know what God is a communicating God to? Why he advocates for intelligibility is because God communicates in intelligible ways to us. God communicates in very intelligible ways. Not only does he give us his word that is clear that we can go back to as written. So, hey, when we become unclear, we can go back to the clarity of his word. But he, he not only gives us his word, he gave us the word, Jesus himself, incarnate word, who clearly communicated God's character, his nature. He was the exact imprint of God's word. And God continues to speak to us, the Holy Spirit, today. If you've ever had a time when you've had an impression, if you will, or a leading, if, I've, if you've been in the shower, kind of like just minding your own business, and all of a sudden somebody's name pops into your head, and you're like, that was weird. And so then you go and you make some coffee, and that name pops into your head again, and you're like, that's strange. And then you're driving to work, and you're like, man, i got to pray for that person. I better call them up. So you call them up, and you find out something was really bad going on in their life, and that the timing was amazing. That can't have happened on your own. That's a gift of the Spirit revealing something to you. Not big R revelation in Scripture, but revealing something you wouldn't have known otherwise. That's, I would say, it's a prophetic sense, prophetic impression. And those are ways we can build up the body. God wants us to build up, to encourage, to console, to comfort. He speaks to us through our, for our edification, for our exhortation, for our consolation. And Jesus came, he came to make his word accessible, intelligible to us. So loving God and loving others means pursuing love in the same way. 
You see, all of the things that Jesus did, he did by the empowering of the Holy Spirit. The same is true for us. When he began his ministry, he began his ministry, how the, the Spirit descended on him like a dove and he began his ministry. And that's how we minister. That's how we build up the body. We follow along like him, seeking to strive to be like Christ by eagerly desiring manifestations of the Spirit. So let's pursue love. Let's seek to be intelligent in our communication. And let's seek to build each other up in Christ. Why? Because earnestly desiring the spiritual gifts, it's, it's a significant means of pursuing love and building out the body of Christ gathered. Let's pray. And going to have the, actually, you know what? We'll skip the band for now. We'll just pray and close. Father, thank you that you are a speaking God and that you've spoken your love to us. Thank you that you've shared your love in, a, in a many different ways, that you've spoken mercy to us, you've spoken grace to us, you've spoken peace to us, that you, God, you build us up, you console us, you encourage us, you strengthen us, you exhort us. God, I pray that we might love you in return and love others by, by encouraging, or, or, uh, encouraging each other in pursuing the spiritual gifts, by, by eagerly desiring the spiritual gifts ourselves. May we seek to love you and others by excelling and building up the church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for being here with us. Uh,